We're going to begin this afternoon in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to use for the basis of the sermon, verses 32 through 35. Luke recorded, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need." For a few moments this evening, we want to talk about something that I believe is endangering our nation and the world, and that's socialism. Uh, I spoke on socialism uh, many, many weeks ago, or perhaps months ago, Uh, but this evening we want to go just a little deeper into the idea of socialism. When we look through the history of the New Testament, we read about Jesus confronting the money changers on at least two occasions. And, of course, he instructed his followers to always give to the needy when they had opportunity. But would he support socialism? Is socialism something that ought to be appealing to Christianity? Well, increasingly, Americans believe that he would support socialism. In fact, a Barna poll taken in 2016 when Bernie Sanders first ran for the Democratic nomination uh, for president found that more Americans believed Jesus would support socialism, 24%, than those who would support capitalism, 14%. Now, the other 62% said he would support either one of them or did not know what he, what he would support. But the poll is still, is still disturbing. If for no other reason than that was four years ago, And Bernie Sanders has gained a whole lot of momentum and uh, followers uh, since then. Now, in the same year, a Reason Roop survey found 53% of Americans under the age of 30 viewed socialism favorably, compared to less than one-third of those who were over the age of 30. Similarly, Gallup found 69% of those under 30 said they would be willing to vote for a socialist presidential candidate. Now, that's alarming in the fact that our younger people seemingly are moving toward socialism. Uh, There's no doubt. Could the political system of the United States and those of other nations around the world uh, be reformed in in a whole lot of ways and that would be uh, helpful? Certainly it would be. Certainly it would be, but socialism is not the answer. It may sound compassionate, it may sound Christ-like and Christian-like, but socialism is antithetical to everything Christianity teaches and everything upon which Christianity was founded. I want us to notice for just a few moments this evening five reasons why socialism is sinful. 
That's the title of the sermon this evening. Five reasons why socialism is sinful. First, socialism is sinful because it is based on materialism. Materialism. According to Bernie Sanders and other socialists, the greatest problem in the world is the unequal distribution of wealth. That's the greatest problem in all of the world. That trumps everything. In fact, his website declared the issue of wealth and income equality, inequality, is the great moral issue of our time. It is the great economic issue of our time, and it is the great political issue of our times. And that embraces the fundamental uh, materialistic worldview that socialism offers. Uh, and it's the basis. That's on which it is founded. Uh, to socialists, all that really exists in this world is the material. Nothing beyond the material is even... Uh, it doesn't exist in the first place and it's not worthy of our attention in a second. In fact, Karl Marx, the father of socialism and communism, he invented the notion known as dialectical materialism. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you have ever heard of dialectical materialism. Uh, I wasn't that familiar with it until I did this study because it's ridiculous. Okay, That is the belief that matter contains a creative power within itself. Now listen to that for a moment. Matter contains a creative power within itself. We're not talking about living beings, animals, insects, humans, uh, anything like that. We're talking about matter. This pulpit is made of matter. It has no creative properties within itself. It can only be manipulated. And of course... By holding that position, that enabled uh, Karl Marx and other socialists slash capitalists to eliminate the need of a creator. They took uh, the creator or the designer or a greater power out of the way of simply, essentially erasing the existence or the necessity of God. Of course, we remember and well aware of what how Moses began the Pentateuch, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. goes against everything the Bible teaches. The first and second laws of thermodynamics, proven fact, everything is winding down. Evolution says everything's getting better. Everything's winding down, and the fact that matter can be neither created nor destroyed, it simply is. It can be manipulated. It can go from one form to the other. But matter cannot be created. Matter cannot be destroyed. To the socialist, suffering is caused by the unequal distribution of stuff. The way to fix that, salvation, is achieved by the equal distribution of stuff. Or we might say the redistribution of stuff, taking everything and then distributing back out. And of course, there is zero acknowledgement of the spiritual realm. There's zero acknowledgement of spiritual necessity. And there is only the assumption that if everyone is given equal material blessings, all the problems in society will simply be dissolved. Doesn't make sense, does it? Of course, we understand what salvation is. According to the Bible, and this is one of the reasons that socialism is sinful. 
the greatest problems because we have unequal distribution of wealth. The salvation of the world is the redistribution of wealth. The Bible says that uh, the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16. That faith uh, from hearing the gospel creates... Uh, or that hearing the gospel creates faith in one's life, Romans ten seventeen, repentance of past sins, Mark sixteen sixteen, uh, confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts eight thirty seven, and immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts twenty two sixteen, and faithful living, Saint uh, Timothy four six through eight. That is how salvation is acquired. What does that have to do with material things? Nothing. Can someone who has absolutely nothing in this world become a Christian and gain salvation? Yes. Can someone who has... Can the richest person in the world, could uh, uh, Mr. Bezos, owner of Amazon, if he chose to become a Christian, could he become a Christian? Absolutely. And he could be faithful. Uh, having money doesn't make you evil. Being poor doesn't make you godly. It just simply says you're either poor or you're rich. Right? In and of itself, it has no bearing on our souls. That worldview contradicts God's view, which affirms the existence of both the material world and the spiritual world. But perhaps the, the most glaring problem here is, what is the world's greatest problem? Sin. Sin is the world's greatest problem, not whether someone has less money in the bank, whether they own less property than someone else, whether they own anything or not, or whether they own everything. That has no bearing on sin in and of itself or the problems of this life. And what does that have to do with wealth? Nothing. It has everything to do with sin. So, the first problem that makes socialism sinful is it is materialistic. Secondly, it punishes virtue. It punishes virtue. Socialism wants to redistribute wealth to individuals according to their need regardless of their virtue. Of course, Karl Marx is famously known for saying, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. Now let's think about that for a moment. From each according to his ability. Okay? Everyone has some kind of ability, don't they? Everyone does. We look in the New Testament and we read about the poor widow and her two mites. She had some ability. But that's not necessarily the problem. It's a problem, but it's not necessarily the only problem. The second part of that says, to each according to his needs. It doesn't say to each according to his needs who cannot help themselves. The elderly who are not able to provide for themselves. The disabled who are not able to provide for themselves. The mentally disabled who are not able to provide for themselves. It simply says to each according to his need. Takes virtue out of it. What about if the person who has a need, does does the person who refuses to work, does he have a need for food? Absolutely he has a need for food. Does he have a need for shelter? Yes. Does he have a need for many other things that that other people have? Absolutely he has a need for that. But does he have virtue? Is he deserving of those things? No, absolutely not. So socialism takes virtue 
out of the way. It says nothing about the abilities of the needy. I think that's important. I want us to also understand when any institution or any government provides aid, it can run the risk of removing God-designed rewards and consequences. God designed rewards. He designed consequences. It can punish the industrious by making them uh, pay for those who are not. It rewards those who are not industrious by giving them the fruit of another's labor. And they did nothing to help supply it for themselves. That's socialism in a nutshell, isn't it? And not surprisingly, I don't know how many of you have studied about Karl Marx, but he was a deadbeat all of his life. He mooched off of other people. He never provided for his wife and his children. Of course, Aristotle once said, men start revolutionary changes for reasons connected with their private lives. He didn't want to work. He wanted someone to keep him up. And so he began this economic uh, revolution we know as socialism, ultimately turns into communism. Of course, the Bible teaches uh, that help ought to be tied to responsibility. Ought to be tied to responsibility. First, those who refuse to work, Paul said they should not be allowed to eat. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. Also, the Bible teaches that no person should be given aid when their family can help them financially. Okay, now think about that. Paul warned the one who failed to provide for his own family was worse than an infidel or an unbeliever, 1 Timothy 5.8. Of course, we have to take into consideration, and the church does, if a person's family will not help that individual who is incapable of helping himself or herself, obviously we're going to help that person. But because their families do not do what they should does not mean those people ought to suffer. Third, socialism endorses stealing. Socialism endorses stealing. On one occasion, former President Barack Obama once defended his socialist policies to a child by telling her this. He said, we've got to make sure that people who have more money help the people who have less money. And then he posed the question to her, if you had a whole pizza and your friend had no pizza, would you give him a slice? Well, you know, that sounds like something a Christian would do, doesn't it? Sure, help someone who's hungry. However, Obama and Bernie Sanders, Obama then, Bernie Sanders now, they were not uh, endorsing people voluntarily sharing their wealth with others. That's not what they were endorsing. It's not what Obama was endorsing. Certainly not what Sanders was endorsing. In fact, what they endorsed was the opposite. They endorsed the government forcefully taking a piece of one's pie to give it to someone else regardless of their virtue. doesn't matter whether they worked for it or whether... uh, uh, they were able to work and help themselves, but simply chose not to. Not too awfully long ago, last year at some point, the young congresswoman from uh, New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she put forth what is known as this Green New Deal. Well, it's had a few uh, additions and subtractions to it, but when it initially came out, she provided for those not only who did not work, but for those who did not want to work. Rather than that's socialism. In other words, let's kind of break it down to 
terms we can understand. If you have three cars and your neighbor has no car, then the government has every right to come and take one of your cars and give it to your neighbor. You said, now wait a minute. He won't work. He chooses not to work. He lays around and, and lives off the government, watches soap operas all day and drinks beer and sits on the front porch. Doesn't matter. You take from those what they can afford to give and you give it to those who have need. You might not even be able to afford to give it, but they'll take it anyway. Brethren, that's socialism. That's not being a Christian. That's being a thief. And that's what it endorses. But socialists do not believe in private property. Does the Bible believe in private property? Absolutely the Bible believes in private property. Now we have some, quote, Christians in the world, and and we may have some New Testament Christians in the world that... believe that they are socialists and they try to teach that the Bible doesn't believe in private property. After all, they'll go to the passage we just read, Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35, and no one had anything of their own, everything was in common, and they're absolutely taking that out of its context and misusing it. Uh, <clears throat> that's not only incorrect, brethren, that's foolish. That's foolish. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament undoubtedly supported and affirmed private property. Think of this. The Ten Commandments under which the Jews lived during the Old Testament time, Ten Commandment, uh, of the Ten Commandments, number eight said, Thou shalt not steal. How can you steal from someone when they don't own it? Not possible, is it? If there's no such thing as private property, you can't even fulfill the Eighth Commandment under the Old Law. Well, that precept was brought over into the New Testament. Paul said, if it hadn't been for the Old Law, I would have not known how thou shalt not steal. So we're not supposed to steal, but we can't even uh, uphold the demand of the New Testament unless we accept the notion of private property. Socialism does not accept that. That's one reason why it's sinful. Nor... Can one steward his own money properly if we do not uh, accept the notion of private property? The New Testament demands that we steward our money appropriately. For an economic and a political system to be endorsed by the Bible, can, can those systems uh, exist in the world? Sure they can exist. Does, uh, would Jesus endorse the, the, the communist dictatorship of China? Of course He wouldn't. That's what socialism leads to. What about uh, in the news we read about Cuba? Okay, Cuba is a is a communist country. At the very least, extremely socialist. What about Venezuela? Michael Moore, uh, a liberal movie maker, he uh, in one of his movies he touted how great the the uh, uh, medical system was in Cuba. Really? In Cuba. You know it's not as good as the one in Canada, and you know where those folks go when they have an emergency? They come right here to the United States. They come right here to the United States. Because they don't have six months to wait for an operation that's going to kill them in two weeks. Right? Now, if that's what that nation does, I guess that's their business, and you can be a Christian and live in that society. But the Bible does not endorse it, and God does not endorse socialism. Uh, 
Private property. Private property is a mainstay of any government that the Bible would endorse. You protect your private property and you allocate your resources according to your own conscience. And we can see that in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 5. We talked about in Acts chapter 4 how everyone had things in common. Well, how was that? Well, we get over to Acts chapter 5 we're introduced to a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas was known for selling uh, the materials that he had, the material blessings. He sold some land. He laid it at the apostles' feet and used it for those who had come from all parts of the world to become Christians. And once the, or they came for the Passover, and when the gospel was preached, they obeyed the gospel and they stayed in Jerusalem. Well, they didn't have, they didn't make provision for that. Okay? But they needed to stay there. They needed to learn the gospel. So what the Christians did was they helped each other. But they weren't required to do it. The church was not socialistic. The church is not communal. In fact, when Ananias and Sapphira lied, Acts chapter 5, about giving all their proceeds to uh, the church to help those who were unfortunate, uh, Peter asked them, was it not yours to decide with what you wanted to do with it? You didn't have to give any of it. But you lied to the Holy Ghost. You lied to God. And so, the church is not communal in any way. Uh, Fourth, socialism encourages envy and class warfare. Socialism is sinful because it encourages envy and class warfare. What does socialism do? When you you, uh, are watching these democratic debates and you listen to Bernie Sanders and and, uh, what's her name uh, from uh, uh, wherever she's, Massachusetts, Warren, uh, you know, you know who they condemn? The wealthy. There should never be any billionaires in the world. You know what? I, it, it makes me feel good when I read about Christians who have done well physically and materially in this world. Of all the people who ought to uh, be blessed for hard work and labor, it's a Christian. And so it makes me happy to hear that. Now, if you want to listen to a bunch of socialists, they say you should never, anybody should never be able to work their way into that kind of success. Why not? Why not? Well, because they want you to give what you've worked, uh, worked out to someone who doesn't want to work. That's socialism, okay? Uh, they blame all of society's problems on the wealthy. I grew up in a rural area. Where, where uh, everybody was poor. Okay, we were talking the other night with the girls. We grew up poor. My wife and I, we didn't realize it because everybody was poor. Nobody had anything. And I was watching this documentary I was telling you about this morning uh, on Appalachia, and, and one of the women said, you know, we grew up poor, but we didn't know it till the government came in and told us. We didn't realize we were poor. So the government came in and told us, and then they put on, everybody on food stamps, right? Bernie Sanders once posted to his Facebook page this. <clears throat> he said, Let us wage a moral and a political war against the billionaires and corporate leaders on Wall Street and everywhere whose policies and greed are destroying the middle class of America. Now, what Bernie Sanders was mimicking was Karl Marx. Karl Marx viewed history as a series of class struggles 
between the rich and the poor. And he advocated overthrowing the ruling class. I don't read about that in the New Testament. I'm not saying that a bunch of people cannot defend themselves, and I fully believe in that. I believe in the Constitution of the United States, but we're a, uh, we're a constitutional republic, and we're not a socialist democracy. And we are guaranteed certain rights, and according to our Constitution, those are unalienable rights given to us by God, not the government. Okay? The government comes in, if it's socialistic in nature, and wants to take everything you've got. He wants to give it and use it how they want to use it. In a strong way, the Bible condemns the mistreatment of poor people. Okay? It condemns in a very strong way the mistreatment of poor people. In fact, Solomon said, Proverbs 14, 30-31, he said, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. However, Bernie Sanders and other socialists such as Hillary Clinton go beyond the condemnation of specific acts of injustice. They, they uh, uh, condemn an entire class of people. If you happen to be wealthy, well, you're wrong. You're evil. Whether you ever did a specific injustice or not. You may have just worked hard your whole life, been industrious, Went out, went out on a limb, took a chance, invested in something, started your own business, did well. Well, see, now you're a sorry, evil person. Those people condemn someone simply for having some wealth. Well, they surely wouldn't have liked Job or Abraham or Lot or Isaac or Jacob or David or Solomon or any number of the faithful followers of God we read about in the New Testament. What about Lazarus and his two sisters? They were wealthy. They were wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man and he took the very body of our Savior and laid it in his own tomb so he could have a place to be buried. See, they would have been evil. The rich do not cause the problems in our society and in our world. The ungodly do. Finally, number five. Socialism seeks to destroy... Marriage and family. You see, that's a little known fact about socialism. From its very beginning, socialism has sought to destroy the family and marriage. Grove City professor Paul Kengore explained in great detail the truth about socialism in his book entitled Take Down From Communist to Progressives How the Left Has Sabotaged Marriage and Family. You see, socialism seeks to replace the family. It seeks to replace uh, the family unit. That way it can indoctrinate our young folks. It can indoctrinate our young folks. That's a whole uh, uh, idea of socialism. That way it can, it can push the socialist adv- uh, agenda. It can push the evolutionary agenda. Remember, uh, uh, socialism takes... Uh, a creator out of the out of the equation. So you have to have evolution. See, a lot of people don't understand. Evolution is based in economics. And that's what socialism is. Friedrich Engels, he helped uh Marx to co author the Communist Manifesto. Now now listen to what he wrote. 
He once wrote, the society he envisioned would be one where the single family ceases to be the economic unit of society. Private housekeeping is transformed into a social industry. The care and education of the children becomes a public affair. You recall during, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't born until 1970, but when uh, John F. Kennedy was president of the United States, and who was the premier of the Soviet Union at that time? Uh, I had his name and it left me. Khrushchev. Was it Khrushchev? No. Uh, yeah, Khrushchev. He took his shoe off and he pounded upon the podium at a United Nations meeting. Or uh, I, don't, I guess it wasn't a United Nations meeting. It was, uh, he was speaking in, in Russia. He pounded on the podium. He said he would destroy the United States and he would start with their children. Now look around us. In this generation, people under 30, more than half of them embrace socialism. They've been indoctrinated, brethren. We need to be able to teach people who claim to be Christians that uh, it doesn't take a village. Why do you think Hillary Clinton entitled her book that? (laughs) It takes a village. Because she wants to take the family unit out of the way. She can't promote socialism. No one can promote socialism if you're, if you're not bypassing the family unit. And so they try to destroy that. Similarly, today Bernie Sanders calls for a revolution in child care and for the government to provide early childhood education starting as early as six weeks old. So don't stay at home with your children when you have a baby. Ship them off to a government school somewhere when they're six weeks old and they can be- become bombarded with the ideals of socialism, Evolution, Marxism, communism, it all ends up in the same place. In addition to that, he is a proud supporter of homosexual union that he calls marriage. Not just Bernie Sanders, I'm not trying to pick on him, but he is an avowed socialist. He's running for president, brethren. Let's stand up and make some noise about that. All those people running on that side, endorse homosexuality. There is a homosexual running for the nomination. He calls uh, uh, homosexual marriage or homosexual union marriage. Now, Kinger in his book called it the, the communist Trojan horse to secure the final takedown of traditional marriage. And I believe that's right. I believe that's right. To socialists, what Bernie describes is a utopia. But to Christians, it's a dystopia. Can you be a Christian and be a socialist? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The reason for that is there is nothing Christian about socialism. And there is absolutely zero way, no way, Jesus would ever support socialism. I think Christians ought to be especially concerned about those of the household of faith. Galatians 6 verse 10 But I think that genuine faith and love in God is what will uh, allow Christians to help those who are less fortunate. James 2, 15 through 17, and 1 John 3, 17. And notice when James, I believe it's James chapter 2, was talking about uh, honoring the rich over the poor. It wasn't the rich or the poor. It was the person doing the honoring that he was warning. Just because someone's wealthy, you don't treat them better than someone who's poor. Just because someone is poor doesn't mean you ought to feel sorry for them. 
and uh, uh, give them all kinds of things. We don't know their situation. Maybe they, uh, maybe they haven't done anything to uh, to better themselves in this world, right? Do you believe there are people in the world who have the attitude of "I don't have anything and I don't want anything"? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, they won't get off uh, the couch long enough to go to work. Are there people like that in the world? Yes, absolutely. Socialism takes care of those people. The goal, though, for the church is to help. That's one of the goals, is to help people. But the goal of the church is not economic justice. (laughs) That would contradict the law of sowing and reaping. If you don't sow, you're not going to reap. If you do sow, you'll reap. So we're not into economic justice. We want to help the unfortunate, those who cannot help themselves. But the indiscriminate redistribution of someone's wealth will put resources into the hands of wasteful people. How would you like the government to come in and and, uh, take care of your finances for a month? We'd all be broke and in the poorhouse, wouldn't we? They're running $1 trillion deficit every year, and it's growing. And that's with capitalism. But you know what's causing that problem? The socialistic influence on our uh, uh, form of government that is give away, give away, give away, give away. You know, help those who are in need. But, uh, you know, if, if we help people who are not willing to help themselves, that will reflect upon God who has providentially blessed each of us for our industry, for our wisdom, and for our generosity. The goal of the church is not physical. We can't ignore the physical. But the goal of the church is not physical. uh, But the objective is heavenly and eternal, not physical. And so, five reasons why socialism is sinful has nothing to do with God. In fact, it's a detriment to every single institution God has created, the family in the church. We have to, we have to uh, fight against socialism. We can't support it. We have to go to the polls and we elect folks who will, will carry out what God wants us to do in this world. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that tonight. Come to God through the, the avenue of the gospel plan of salvation of which we spoke. If you have obeyed the gospel, come back to Him if you've fallen away. Repent of the sin in your life. Confess it publicly if necessary. But either way, if you need to answer this invitation, do that while we stand and while we sing.